0: All right, I want to start by going back to those lyrics from Let It Be Jesus. Ryan didn't know this, um, and actually, most of you probably don't know this, but for our worship, we report what songs we do to CCLI. They're one of the, the major reporting agencies, basically, for Christian music. And when we put the lyrics up there... And when we broadcast through the stream, we have to report the songs that we do so that the artists that wrote those songs get proper credit and know where their music is reaching. Basically, it's a way to track. It is a way of making money, but it's a way of them tracking how far out their ministry has reached, too. Um, so I report all of our songs and this morning, well, Wednesday, Ryan reaches into the box to pull out songs to start with and he's like, Tracy, looking over at me at the keyboard over there and says, what would you think about doing Let It Be Jesus? And I'm like, yeah, it's been a while since we've done that song. That sounds like a good song. Um, so I, I agreed to do it. And of course, you know, my voice isn't the strongest that it's been. Um, Dealing with the illness and everything from last month. I'm still recovering a little bit, but uh, I agreed to do it anyway and, and give it a shot. And uh, I just want to reiterate some of those words from that bridge. Should I ever be abandoned? Should I ever be acclaimed? So abandoned, completely alone, or should I be acclaimed where I'm noted, noted by all of the people in society as someone of purpose? Should I ever be surrounded by the fire and the flame? All the fiery things that happen to us to cause our world just to be wrecked. Okay, we're we're used to um, going about life, and then something will just come up and wreck everything, and we think, okay, the world's ended. And then we learn to work through that, and we get over it, right? Um, but that's being surra- surrounded by the fire and the flame there's a name I will remember. There's a name that I will proclaim. Let it be, let it be Jesus. And this all speaks to my message that I've been working on for a couple of months now. Um, What Ryan didn't know is Wednesday night at practice. We hadn't even decided that I would speak this Sunday. (laughs) I've been working on this a couple of months, but those words speak to the bulk of this message, what God has given me to share with everyone this morning. Uh, pray with me now. Father God, I just praise you, Lord. I praise you for the word that you've given me to share. I praise you that you are working in our lives, no matter where we are at, whether we're abandoned, whether we're acclaimed, whether we're in the fire and flame, there is still a name that we will remember and that name is Jesus, and we will proclaim that name Jesus in our lives, no matter what the circumstances are. Father, I just thank you for this word this morning, and I ask you to move through what I've prepared and speak your words. Anything that I have put into it that you do not want me to speak, I just ask that you shut my mouth. But I ask that you open my mouth to the words that you want to declare to your people, your body this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so the title of my message this morning is Life Sentence. When we think of the words life sentence, we usually think about being trapped in prison. You see the graphic that Connie put up there. I love this graphic. Somebody who's imprisoned. By their own life, the situations that we find ourselves in, the circumstances that try to come against us and try to block us from doing what God has called us to do, if you've ever felt trapped by circumstances in your life, so trapped that you feel like you are right there, that those are your hands on those bars, and you're crying to get out, those things might look like some of these things, um, physical ailments in the body or chronic pain. I deal with chronic pain every day. So much so that at some points, at a certain point in my life, I just kind of forgot that it was there. And I don't mean forgot like it wasn't, there was no more pain, but I kind of got numb to that. If you understand, if you've dealt with something on an ongoing basis so long, you just become numb to it. Um, there have been times when I've been sitting up here and and Some of you probably don't know the difference between what I play and what Elise plays. Elise is constantly moving those fingers, especially on Let It Be Jesus, which give her fingers cramps. Um, I hold chords, So I'm just holding this, and then I move here, and then I move here. Just different patterns. But even with the chronic pain I have, sometimes that's hard. I wouldn't even want on some days to attempt what Elise does because that's hard enough. Um, Another thing might be a poor work environment that you're in. Maybe you've got a boss who is just completely riding you all the time, trying to get more and more out of you. I have lived for years with a boss who has asked me to do more and more and more and more um, to the point where there have been times where I've worked 11-hour days open to close, um, doing four people's jobs at the same time and trying to juggle all of that. Um, is it fair? Probably not. Um, but I know that God has a purpose in this. I know that um, there is still a ministry for me to work through in my workplace. There are people that I can witness to, and I've seen the culture change as God has been working on me through this message He has changed the culture in my work a little bit to the point where it's okay if I'm doing two people's jobs now instead of having to do all four. Um, I am seeing Christians in my workplace and not just people that are constantly looking at me to see what I'm doing wrong uh, all the time. Um, But your coworkers might be part of that too. You may have coworkers that are just really, really hard to deal with. Part of that might be their personality. Part of that might be just the fact that they have a job to do and they are on their deadline and they have got to get this done and they are going to bowl over anybody who is in their way and holding up the process that they are responsible for. Um, maybe you're in bad relationships with people and part of you just keeps on in this cycle of one person after another person. And it doesn't have to be a romantic involvement. It can be your best friends, your girlfriends, your boyfriend. Well, Guy friends, okay, um, but it could be those bad relationships that just keep failing over and over, and you're like, "Man, am I just broken? What is the problem with this? I can't seem to make those connections uh, for very long." Maybe it's addiction. You know, the the common ones, drugs, alcohol, yeah. But what about dipping into your wallet and spending money on things that you just don't need, just because you? think it's cool. It's a cool thing. It's new, and it'd be fun to have it. Okay. Do you need it? Is it important for your life? And ultimately, will it impact what you can do for God in your life? Probably not. Probably not. That's another type of addiction. Um, but there are others even more so than that. Um, maybe another circumstance that makes you feel trapped in your life is a poor mental state. Maybe you have depression, or maybe you're constantly anxious. You have anxiety about you know what's going to happen that day, and you worry about stuff that's going to happen a week from now, this week, because, well, it's coming up, it's coming up, and I, I just don't know how to deal with it if I don't plan for it and figure out how to make that work. Um, maybe you have poor reactions to criticism. Um, you know, there are people in our lives that will tell us sometimes in a loving way sometimes in a not so loving way but they're trying to help better us and it's a form of criticism that might be hard for us to handle um, for us to react to and and it really takes some time to process um, that criticism and and grow from it try to figure out what you can learn from it um, there's also uh, just a complete inability to cope with major life events that come along that just destroy everything that you have. Jason and I went through um, an apartment fire in our complex. Uh, we were on the ground floor. The fire was up on floor three and eight into floor two. It never touched our apartment, but being on the ground floor, that water from the fire department, um, that ruined everything. It ruined everything that we had. Um, And, you know, even in that circumstance, there wasn't a lot of time to get stuff out because the building was compromised and we were in the ground floor. They didn't want to let us in there for very long to grab belongings. So there was a lot that we lost. um, And we kind of basically started over from scratch. Um, And that was how far into our marriage? About five months or so. Yeah. Um, we were, we were starting over again, five months into our marriage. So, um, you know, those, those major life events or, or just even major changes, um, that come along. If you have kids, that changes your entire family dynamic. Um, you adopt that changes your dynamic again. Um, there there could be a million things that can change your life with those major events. And maybe you just have an inability to cope and it takes you a long time to work through those processes. Um, a death in the family, it takes time to work through those process in your mind, in your emotions and learn to grow past that. Okay. And move on. So when we're feeling in those circumstances and we feel trapped, uh, If you're like most of society today, what do you do? Anybody throw something out there? What do you do? Shut down? Self-medicate? I guess if you have your prescription already, Eddie. (laughs) Um, I know a lot of people who are like, well, when something's bothering me, or okay, let's say you're sick. What's the first thing you do? You pull out your phone you google your symptoms to try to figure out what you got, right? And you get anything from eh, it's a cold to you're dying. You need to be in the hospital on a ventilator. Okay? Spectrum, right? You get a spectrum of results for some symptoms that you have and that can cause panic. So, just because I'm the curious sort of person that I am and I like to do a little research, I googled feeling trapped in my life. Got a couple of uh, of various results. Uh, One of the first ones that popped up was a a website called lifehack.org. It offered nine nine steps to um, deal with feeling trapped. Number one, live a lifestyle you can afford. Okay, decent advice. Two, be aware of your power and take responsibility. Because some of us has tr- have trouble taking responsibility for when we make bad decisions, right? Um, number three, find a new job. That didn't settle so well with me because I'm thinking, okay, my job is really rough. And I don't think I'm just supposed to go and and find another job. Uh, number four, realize that life responds to you. Now I'm thinking, okay, this is getting a little new agey on me. This is not quite my cup of tea. Number five, start to live a healthy life. Oh, okay. I can get behind that one. Diet, exercise, things that'll make you feel better physically so that maybe you will feel better about things that are going on around you. Uh, number six, follow your passion. I can definitely get behind that if your passion has to do with ministry for Christ. I will get behind that 100%. Uh, number seven, be honest and learn to say no. Okay. Decent advice. Maybe not necessarily exactly a God-given word, but but decent. And number eight, throw away social norms. I can kind of get behind that with the way our society is these days. I can get behind that. Number nine, overcome the fear of failure. And my immediate thought to that one was, okay, easier said than done. Because fear of failure, a lot of us deal with that. Um, and it, it can be on a very small scale of just not being able to do things like me playing a keyboard every week. Can I do it? Can I not with my chronic pain? That's a fear of failure. I could be sitting up there and just totally fail and hit all these wrong chords. And then everybody on that row over there is looking at me like, okay, that doesn't sound right. What's going on over there? Um, All right. Another website that came up in my search, psychologytoday.com. So I'm thinking, okay, this may be a little more decent advice. Um, And it talked about several things. People feel trapped by unhappy relationships, unfulfilling jobs, or are generally unhappy with their life despite having their basic needs met. I was like, you know what? That's probably true. And I think Immediately to Scripture, and I'm thinking, okay, but God supplies all our needs. Our basic needs are actually met if we are in Christ Jesus, and we have a relationship with Christ. Our needs are met, but we're still generally unhappy. Okay, um, we'll get back to the happiness thing. Uh, another thing that they made in their points was: in our culture, we're taught that if we work harder, work harder, and have success. Then we'll be happy. But if you think about it, it's a broken model because each time you succeed in something, okay, you just succeeded. That bar has been met. Where's the next bar? It just stretched out to here. And you got to get from here to here and have another success. And then there's another and another. And so that, that way of thinking is really broken. Um, and that's not how we really should think through the circumstances of our life and and what is going to fulfill us. Um and in that website the guy that was writing it said we need to reverse the model and be grateful for what we have, find the positive um in the events and situations of our lives that are kind of messing with us. We need to exercise, meditate, make conscious acts of kindness toward others. I'm thinking okay, those are good advice. You know, it's good advice on the surface. But it's not exactly godly advice, is it? It doesn't all mesh with scripture very well. Um, so I want to talk about the fact that we need to seek God when those circumstances are causing us to feel trapped. That should be our number one go-to. We don't always do it. Um, so I want to I want to kind of go through some examples um, because happiness is fleeting. But the joy of the Lord lasts. So He's our source. Um, so basically, the real reason we feel trapped is we can't figure out how to be useful for God despite the circumstances that we're in. We find ourselves in these places and we feel trapped and we're like, okay, I'm just trapped here. I can't be used by God. There's no way. I I don't see how I could. God's not going to use somebody that's just really messed up and broken. Um, Well, think about our circumstances that we're in. Some things we decided for ourselves. We made bad choices. We messed up our relationships by not being honest with them or, you know, some other um, poor behavior. You know, Uh, Josh got up here a few weeks back and talked about how sarcasm really Almost broke his own relationships because he was being sarcastic, and that wasn't a glory, a godly, glorifying way to talk to people. Right? Um, some are caused by others around us. You know, our, we can't control our boss, we can't control our coworkers, we can't control our friends, even though they're probably closer to us than that boss and coworker would be. Um, some. However, are orchestrated by the principalities at work in the earth because we live here in a world full of sin. Okay? I want to go to Ephesians six twelve. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That says a lot, and that is scripture. We do make mistakes and we cause some of the own, our own problems that we have to deal with. But there is an enemy. He is real. And he has dominion here freely to try to persuade us to not do God's work. That is his goal. He wants to stop us from doing God's work. Because God's in heaven. He's using us as his body These are his hands. These are his feet. This is his body. You're his body. He uses us in this world, and the enemy does not like that. And then some of our circumstances are even a little bit different. Some things, um, no matter whether we cause them or the enemy caused them to be, God still allows them to be in our lives, because they are things that will help us grow eventually um, as we work through that with God. Uh, go to Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So right there, God has called us according to his purpose, not our purpose, not whatever I want to do, not that I want to go out and eat or I want to go to an amusement park. He's called us for his purpose and that trumps anything that we would want to do on our own. Um, so our hope in these circumstances that make us feel trapped, our hope is that God will use us right where we are, effective for his glory in the midst of our prison. Okay. God can, let's talk about what God can do. God can lessen the circumstance. He can make it a little easier to cope with. Um, Some of those things might be through medicine, support groups, other people coming along beside us and praying for us. Um, God can lessen those circumstances for us and make them not quite so hard for us to deal with. But that means we have to talk to him. We have to go to him in prayer and ask for help. Um, God may choose to break us out of the circumstances altogether. I had a really huge section in my notes and I last minute yesterday decided to take it all out um, because it was just bogging down everything that I really wanted to talk about. Um, But it was about Peter and the story of Peter um, in Acts 10 through 12. He goes to a man's house named Cornelius and (sighs) Cornelius had a vision from an angel of the Lord that told him to go get Peter. Um, he sent men. Peter came. They were Gentiles, okay? They were Gentiles. They were not Jews. But this man, Cornelius, prayed to God. He knew that God was real. He prayed to God. He gave alms to the Jew- Jewish people, uh, Jewish Christians in his community. And um, even though he was a Roman soldier, his whole household kind of followed along with him because he was the ruler of his house. Um, and they kind of all believe that same way because he believed, um, Peter came, gave a message. First Gentiles are won over, uh, by the power of the Holy spirit coming down in their midst and they start talking in tongues, just like the first early apostles got after Jesus's death and resurrection. This is an amazing thing and I suggest that you read it, but God can choose to break us out of our circumstances because right after that event, Peter speaking to the Gentiles, we get to Acts 12 and King Herod throws Peter in prison. And he's in prison. He didn't do anything wrong. He was just taken because, hey, Herod's got to have somebody to put up after Passover in front of the Jews to decide whether they hang him or crucify him or whatever they, you know, punishment might be. Um, you know, he's gotta have somebody, so he takes Peter. And Peter's in prison, and uh, an angel of the Lord comes into the prison, touches his side while he's trying to sleep, and it describes that there are soldiers literally on both sides of him laying on the ground. They are asleep. But there are two soldiers right next to him on the ground, he's in between two soldiers, and the angel of the Lord wakes Peter up, lets the chains fall off him, never says that they came open, Eh, I don't know. They just fell off. Um, And then the angel says, follow me. And Peter says, okay, and follows him out. And it actually says in scripture in in chapter 12 that Peter thought he was just having a vision because he was used to having visions. He was used to hearing from the Lord in dreams and visions. And he thought this was another one. Not until he got out of prison did he actually understand, oh, I'm not in prison because the angel of the Lord just left. And I'm out. Okay. So we know from history, God can choose to completely take us out of our prison, out of the place that we feel trapped. He can do it. But the important thing is, whatever God chooses to do in our time of need, it will bring glory to Himself. It will bring glory to Him and give us a way to minister for His kingdom. Okay. I want to go to, uh, the life of Joseph. And I'm going to summarize some things here in the early parts of his life. In Genesis 37, we meet Joseph, um, as a young boy. He's age 17. He's the beloved of his father, the most favorite son that he has, uh, of Jacob. Um, in the early days in his childhood, his father's favoritism, causes him to have poor relationship with his brothers because he's the favorite. And it's really well known amongst the brothers that he loves Joseph more than he loves the rest of us. He just does. And we hate him for that. Okay. They grow up knowing that he's the favorite and we're never going to get to that place of favoritism. It's just not going to happen. Um, so, Joseph is now in poor relationships with his brothers. Um, Joseph, because he is the favorite of the father, he does the youthful thing when there's trouble out in the fields and tells his father that, um, his brothers weren't doing whatever it was that they were supposed to be doing. Something was wrong. He gives a bad report to, to Jacob and, so the, you see a couple of things in that about Joseph. He's trustworthy to tell his father the truth, okay? Uh, but now he's causing his own poor relationship with his brothers, too. He's making it worse, right? Um, then God gives Joseph a dream. Well, actually two dreams. Uh, the first one is that his brothers would bow down before him. Uh, and, of course, he tells his brothers And I'm thinking, Joseph, what are you doing? Why are you telling your brothers that they're going to bow down before you when they already don't like you strongly? And, uh, you know, but he does um, because he just can't hold that kind of thing in, right? That's God's vision. God gave me this dream. He gives him a second dream. And in joseph 's second dream, now not only are his brothers bowing down before him, but there are two more as well, which is his father and mother. Um, now there's eleven or no thirteen bowing down in front of him um, god is is doing something in joseph he 's giving him dreams to show him what is going to happen in his life. But I guarantee you at this point, he had no clue what God was actually, how he was going to make that happen. Okay. He didn't have a whole plan like, okay, Joseph, this is what's going to happen. You're not going to like it. This is what's going to happen. You're not going to like that either. And this is what's going to happen. You're probably not going to like that even more than those other two. But eventually this is where we're going to get to and show him all that. He gave him a dream that said his brothers were going to bow down before him. And then the rest of his family was going to bow down as well so they're out in the field one day and his brothers are really mad. We don't know exactly what happened that day to cause it to be this day, but they're out in the field, they're having lunch. Um, and they're, they're talking amongst themselves and they decide that, Hey, you know, when Joseph gets out here in the field, cause he was, he was lagging behind, probably stayed to talk to dad and, uh, didn't get out there with them when they left for the fields. Um, Jacob actually sends Joseph out into the field. Little does Jacob know that this is going to all transpire in his life, but the brothers conspire to sell Joseph, we know, into slavery. Okay. Not only do they sell him into slavery, but then they take uh, Joseph's coat, if you remember, that his father had made for him, soak it in, in blood, and then take it back to his father and say, uh... Dad, is this not your son's cloak? Um, we found it out in the field. Found. Yeah. Um, and so they tell, basically convince Jacob that he's dead. And don't tell him that they sold him into slavery, of course, because then they'd be in some hot water too. Um, we know from the story that Joseph is traded to Egypt and is sold into Potiphar's house. Um Potiphar was Pharaoh's officer. He was the captain of the bodyguard. So we're talking like head of the secret service, all right, for the Pharaoh. Um, Potiphar, it says in, in chapter 39, sees that the Lord is with Joseph and how the Lord causes all that he does to prosper. So, okay, Joseph's in a bad place. He's been sold into slavery. And yet, he's prosperous because he still seeks God. Some of us could have been sold into slavery and just, you know, forget it. I'm not doing anything. I resist. And what happens when you resist? It can make things even worse. You could get beat, whatever they did back then. I'm sure it was not good. Uh, but Joseph saw, well, hey, I need to survive this. I don't know why this is happening to me. I don't get it. But I need to survive. So I'm going to stay true to God. I still know God. I know he wants something good for me. I just don't know what it's going to be because I don't get this. This doesn't line up with that dream of my family bowing down to me. I, I would have to be way up here for a whole family in another country at this point to bow down to me. But Joseph's way down here, okay? Um so God saw where Joseph was and he knew the hearts of his family. He knew that his brothers would have it in for him. He knew where they were. God knew that Joseph couldn't be used at home in his family. So he made a way because he knew the hearts of the brothers. So he made a way for Joseph to be relocated basically. Um Because he knew that there was another purpose, there was a purpose years away, and it was going to take place somewhere else. God allowed their decisions in his family to move Joseph into place where he needed to be, even though it didn't appear like that was a good situation at all for him. Let's go to Genesis 39, verses 1 through 6a. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When the master saw, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything that he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned from that, the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had both in the house and in the field so Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate and I read this, and I know the story, but that really struck a chord in me. I'm like, really? Potiphar didn't care about anything now except what he ate? It's like, that's, that's insane. You have a slave that you just bought in your house, but because you recognize that he is prosperous because God is with him, you decide to put him over. So Joseph went to being in his family. Sold into slavery, and now he's elevated a little bit over a household. But this is just Potiphar's house, right? Okay. God can, my first point, My, you know, we're supposed to have the major points. This is my first major point. God can use us where we are. There's no need to wait for circumstances to change. Joseph didn't say, hey, I'm a slave, and now I'm over this household. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to do the bare minimum. No, he excelled. He ran Potiphar's house. He made sure that there was enough food for all the people that worked in Potiphar's house, which was probably quite a few. Captain of the bodyguards probably got a few people around him in his household. Um, you know, he made sure that, I'm sure there was probably somebody watching over at night while everybody slept. Made sure that somebody was keeping guard over that household since it was such high Prestigious status in the in the kingdom um, he 's over everything. Potiphar has nothing to worry about, and so it says he didn't he didn 't worry. I would like to be in that position to not worry about everything and have somebody else take care of everything for me, but that 's not how joseph 's story goes, okay now next we see joseph 's circumstance change again, and we 're going to continue on in genesis thirty nine with verses six b which I don't know why this splits in the middle, but it did. And then uh, go out to verse 20. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her. My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. So some time is taking place here, right? This is day after day. She has her eyes set on Joseph because he's young, 17 years old, okay? He's young and handsome, and she wants... The young buck that's working in her father, in her husband's house, um, but it says that Joseph's response is no. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Not Potiphar. You see where his mind is at. His mind has nothing to do with Potiphar. He knows that that's the master of the house. He knows that he's his slave, but he doesn't worry about Potiphar. He worries about God and what God thinks. So he is literally doing God's work because he has focused everything that he is responsible for to be glorifying God. So let's continue on. Verse 11. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. He knew. He was not going to be trapped by this woman. Verse 13, when when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Not exactly a better place to be. He went from family to slavery to head of household. Now he's in prison. He is on the floor. This is as bad as it gets, other than death, I guess. Um, Joseph's in, confined in prison. He's not done anything wrong. He didn't do anything wrong in God's eyes, for sure. He did what was right. Um, he literally only did the thing that he was supposed to do and someone else just told a story, told a blatant lie because he rejected her and now he's in prison. This brings me to our second major point. God sees us in our circumstances right where we're at and what we're going through. We are absolutely not alone. He sees us in our circumstance right where we're at and what we're going through doesn't matter what it is, what that circumstance looks like. If we feel awful about that situation, doesn't matter. He sees us. He knows how we feel. And we are not alone. And it's not like, okay, God's standing over here. Uh-uh. He is right here. God is right next to me. And he, I dare say, might even just have his arm around me holding me up when I am in the pit and have no clue how to get out. And he's doing exactly the same thing for you. He is standing closer than air. Okay? Closer than air that we breathe. He is right around us. And he is right there no matter what it is that you're going through. See, God had this goal for Joseph. His goal was for him to rule and reign and gave him a dream at age 17 that said his family was going to come and bow down to him. He was going to be elevated into such a place of power that people would come to him and bow down. So now that he's in prison, how in the world is that going to happen? He's not high. He's very, very low. When God... Has a goal in mind for our lives. I want you to know it does not matter whatever is going on in our lives. It really doesn't matter because God's plan will come to pass. It will. It just might take a while to get there. And in order for us to get to a position that is higher, that has impact the way that we think it should, um, We might have to be brought really, really far down. We might have to be broken and crushed in circumstances, um, to actually get us there because sometimes, um, God, you know, God has a bigger plan. He knows how we're going to get from point A to B. We just don't see all the little ups and downs. It's like a roller coaster right now in Joseph's life, right? He was, he was on his way up. He's got his family and knows exactly what his life looks like. And then he's down into slavery. Then he was elevated up. He's going up another incline. He's over at the top of this head of the household. Now, an even stronger descent. He is positionally low. He is brought low as low could be and still be alive. Because God wanted to elevate him again to accomplish his purpose, but he had to bring him he couldn 't do what he was going to do in potiphar 's house he had to be somewhere else, so when he got thrown into prison, he went to pharaoh 's prison all right Potiphar didn 't have his own jail Potiphar was pharaoh 's bodyguard, so where's he going to go he 's going to go to pharaoh 's jail right okay so um, this this whole being brought low seems contradictory, right? If God's going to do something, he's going to bring me right there, right? No, it seems contradictory to us. Um, when we feel attacked in our life, um, when those situations are going around and around and causing us to feel trapped and things might be taken away from us or destroyed completely, that's when we have to recognize that those things mean a lot to us, but they don't bring glory to God necessarily, okay? Um, So he's got to take some things away sometimes and break us a little bit for us to be able to kind of get with the program, right? Um, Things that will help change us and make us grow into the person that he needs us to be in order to accomplish what he wants to do. God's ways are different from ours, and he will still use us no matter what as long as we are seeking him and and trying to be useful for him. So let's go to Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 11. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Joseph has remained faithful to God throughout the whole thing. Now he's in prison, but he yet again finds favor in the eyes of another person, the head jailer. Um, he he finds sight. Uh, fa- he finds favor in the sight of the chief jailer in Genesis thirty nine twenty one. I don't have that verse, Connie. <laughs> um, Joseph is given charge over all the prisoners. He's in charge of what they eat, what they drink, um, figuring out probably exercise schedules. I mean, I'm sure. You know, the, the prisons down there were probably way worse than today's prisons. In fact, I know they are. Uh, but I'm sure that Joseph being the kind of person that he was cared for those people that he was in charge of, I know that he would have had their well being in mind. So he probably would petition the jail, the chief jailer to make sure that they had some form of exercise, some, some kind of regiment throughout their day, right? It wasn't just going to be sitting in on the floor in their cells. All day long. And Joseph's in charge. So, just like in Potiphar's house, now he's over a whole group of people again. There are, uh, two people from Pharaoh's court, the cupbearer and the, um, baker, brought into the prison because Pharaoh was just really mad at something that happened that day. And they're brought into just, under Joseph's care in the prison. And one night, they have two dreams separately. Um, and there was nobody around to really interpret. They couldn't figure out what they meant. They didn't understand it. And, uh, Joseph said something along the lines of, well, surely my God could tell us what these mean. So tell me your dream. And Joseph interprets the dreams for the cupbearer and the baker. Um, the cupbearer's dream was really good says in three days, you're going to be restored to your former position. Um, you really don't have anything to worry about. It's going to pass. You're going to be brought back in. You're going to pour Pharaoh's cup again. That's great. Okay. Three days, three days in jail. That's, that's, uh, that's all right. We can cope with that. The baker's dream three days and you're going to be hung from a tree, um, and put to death. Not so great a word, but nobody knows Joseph in this jail doesn't know he has dreams and knows how to reveal from God what they mean. So it's it's a test and see kind of situation, right? They got to wait three days and find out what happens. Joseph tells the cupbearer who had the good dream and knew he'd be elevated back into Pharaoh's um, court, don't forget about me. That's the only thing I ask. As I interpret your dream and tell you what's to come, please don't forget about me. So what happens? Three days later, the baker's put to death and hung on a tree, just like they said, and the cupbearer's back in Pharaoh's court. What's he do? Forgets. Human nature, right? It's been three days. Surely that's a long enough time to forget about the person who told you what was going to happen and it was a good thing. And, you know, you go back into position. Oh, yay. What was the name of that guy? I don't know. That's not really fair, is it? but this happens to us in our lives, right? We get forgotten. Um, People make us promises. They break them because they just don't even remember making the promise in the first place. Not necessarily out of spite. Some people might be spiteful in breaking their promise, but I think a lot of it's oversight, just not remembering that they made the promise in the first place. So he's forgotten. He's still in jail. He's still in position. He's still over all the other prisoners, What I want you to take away from this is that we can do everything right and remain faithful to God in our circumstances, but our circumstances still may not change overnight. Okay? They may not. It may take time because God's timing is better than our timing. We want the immediate gratification to change to make things better because it's uncomfortable to feel like you're trapped and you just can't get out or figure out a way to make a change. That's going to impact your life and pull you out of that situation. But God doesn't always change our circumstances overnight. My third major point, God wants to use us to fulfill his purpose and further his kingdom. He will make a way no matter what our circumstances look like. He will make a way. So Joseph is still in jail for two more years after this, all right? Two more long years. And we know, as the story goes, that Pharaoh has some dreams. Um, He brings people in that are wise, the magicians, and they try to figure out what the dreams mean. Nobody can interpret it. Now, now is the time. God says, this is it. Cupbearer, do you remember... The cupbearer's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, there was that guy in jail, that guy that was in charge of us. What was his name? Yeah, yeah, what was it? What was it? Oh, it was Joseph, I think. Let's talk to the chief jailer. Let's bring him in. Let's see if he can do what he did for me. Finally, Joseph is remembered and brought out of prison into Pharaoh's court. I don't know if they Cleaned him up before he went in. I don't know if he was pretty well kept and regularly bathed or anything in prison. I, I don't know. Word doesn't tell us all that, but it tells us that this is the time. He was brought at that time into Pharaoh's court. And Joseph interprets the dreams that Pharaoh has. And not only does he interpret, but he actually gives Pharaoh some advice. And he says, I think you need to find a wise person to put over your grains, and your storehouses. And that person, uh, the dream was that there were going to be seven years of of plenty in the land. And then seven years later was going to come famine for seven years. So they needed to prepare now while the time was good for seven years. And of course, you know, uh, Pharaoh does what, hey, hey, did anybody else interpret my dream? Is there anybody else who figured this out? I think this is the guy, guys. I think this is the guy. So he puts Joseph over his house, um, over his storehouses. Pharaoh at this point is age 30. How old was he when he got sold? 17. Now he is 30. It took 13 years to put him in position for even a possibility of his dreams at age 17 to take place. God doesn't move in our time. He moves in his. He moves when it's the right moment. Um, But we might have to deal with some stuff in the way, right? We might have to wait it out. We might have to wait out those things that we don't like until the time is right. But God does bring about what he wants to have happen. All right. Joseph is still being used in Pharaoh's house now. Um, Let's go to Psalm 18, verses 16 through 19. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Okay? God delights in us and wants to use us. And the reason that he moves through us is because he delights in us. He wants us to be part of what he's doing and, um, sharing in his work. Um, if Joseph had expected God to move him into ministry when he had those dreams at age 17, I'm pretty sure his expectations of what that was going to look like were totally crushed by now. This is 13 years later. And he went through a lot of crushing a lot of downhill slides. And now he is brought up higher than he ever would have been. Not in his father's house, not in Potiphar's house. Now he's in Pharaoh's house. This brings me to my fourth point. God wants us to learn how to walk with him in ministry, even when our circumstances don't meet our expectations of what that looks like. Joseph had many expectations throughout his lifetime so far in his 30 years fail. He didn't want to be betrayed by his family. He didn't want to be sold into slavery. I'm sure he didn't want to be sent to prison wrongfully. I'm absolutely positive of that one. Uh, I'm sure that he didn't want to be forgotten by the people that he helped. That he spoke into their lives and tried to, you know, impact them for change I know he didn't want to be forgotten for that long. Joseph's family, we know, comes to Egypt uh, during the time of famine after those seven years. So Joseph is 30 when he's put over Pharaoh's storehouses. Seven years of plenty. So he's 37 now. And his family come looking, and of course, the brothers come first. Um, they end up going back um, with all the stuff that they brought to make a donation to buy the food with. They go back and they find that their money was returned to their pockets and um, they had all the food and, and things that they needed for quite some time. Um, a time lapses like a whole year and they use that food. They were supposed to, according to Joseph, go back to their father, bring the youngest brother, Benjamin, back to see Joseph and God was orchestrating this reunion for his whole family, right? But they didn't recognize him. He hid himself so that they didn't know that he was in position. And, of course, they come bearing the the news that their youngest brother was dead. And he's like, man, I'm really, really forgotten now. They think I'm dead. They don't have a clue what God has done. Um. Out of this, how do we handle, out of this example of Joseph's life, how do we handle our own disappointments when our circumstances don't look like our expectations, when we're trying to minister, um, or just in life in general, but especially in ministry? We always get kind of an idea of what things should look like. Um, doesn't always happen. I know with my own calling and things that my vision from younger days has not come to pass the way I thought it would. Um, however, I'm still doing the same type of work that I thought I would be doing. Okay. I'm still able to minister. I'm still able to move. It just doesn't look like what I thought. Um, let's go to first Peter four, verse 12 through 14. And this has a, um, you know, a lot of Bibles have like little section descriptions that says suffering as a Christian. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's sufferings so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when this glory is revealed. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory, which is the spirit of God, is resting on you. Okay, so our lives... They're going to be uncomfortable. Says so right there. There's our pie in the sky shot down right there forever and ever. It's right there in the word that there will be things that we don't like in our lives. It's going to happen. We're not going to have that perfect life. Okay. It's what we do with it. If we share in Christ's sufferings, if we are reviled for the name of Christ, then we are blessed. We have the spirit of glory, which is the spirit of God resting on us. And people around us will know. Okay? Just like Joseph in all of those different households that he was in, they knew something was different about this guy. Okay? They knew. Just because he was the way he was. Because he believed in God and he was a decent person doing God's work, taking care of people, reaching people where he was at, not just waiting for everything to change. If you wait for everything to change, when's it going to change? It may not change for 13 years or 20 years. Who knows? We don't know when that situation's going to change. We have to start where we're at. Okay. Um, we might have unrealized callings. We may not know. We know that God has called us into a certain type of ministry. It should look like this. We get this idea of what it looks like because we look at other ministers, right, that are doing the same kind of thing, and we think, hey, it should look like that because that's what they look like. Uh, and maybe those doors are closed, and we have no way to walk through and do what they're doing. Or maybe we try to make it look like that, guys, and it doesn't work. Because God has called each of us to do our own thing differently. We are different people. I am different from Luann. I am different from Ann. I'm different from everyone in this room. I am not called the same way that everyone is called. Now, I'm on the worship team. We all are called to music. We have a calling. It's not the same for each one of us, okay? There's a designated leader, There are different things that we can do, different talents. But all of that puts together for a ministry to work, right? We all have to be a little bit different. If we were all the same, then we'd have six or seven Ryans up there all doing the same thing and they'd all be trying to lead and what would that look like? That might be a little cumbersome. Um, Maybe with our callings, we can't find a way to do what we want because we've been denied by those that are in authority over us. Maybe we have this great idea and we run to the pastors or the elders and we think, this is a really great idea. And they're like, okay, okay, uh, I think we need to pray about that. Bam. To you who are so excited about that idea that God's giving you and stirring up in you, you feel like the door was just slammed in your face, right? Because we got to pray about it. We don't know. Okay. That's okay. There will be a time. There will be a time, and that door will be opened for you to do what you're supposed to do. But maybe you don't have the right idea of what you're supposed to do, right? Maybe you don't see it all the way. We need to um, realize that sometimes our vision and our picture of what we think we're supposed to do is not really the way God sees it, right? Um, we think that there's got to be a better circumstance, or there's got to be a better location, a bigger impact than just one person, right? Ministry should be, let's reach out for a whole community. Well, what happened when we had an outreach right in the trailer park? We we got one, right? And that one was worth it. Chris is awesome. He's worth it. Do you know somebody that's worth it? I dare say everybody in this room has one person they know that is worth the effort to just talk to, right? They're worth the effort. Um, So maybe it's not a huge stadium full of people that have thousands upon thousands come to know Christ by what you do that's okay God builds he builds pieces and then those pieces come together right just like our worship team we wouldn't have a worship team if we didn't have these little individual pieces and we're greater together than we are individually right we have we can have a bigger impact but we have to make those pieces happen God is waiting for us to step out sharing Jesus with those around us right where we're at in every circumstance that we find ourselves in, right? That means that we need to retrain our brains a little bit, right? Because we don't always see clearly. We need to retrain our brains to see those circumstances that are making us feel trapped, not like prisons. They're not prisons for us. Um, They're actually places that we minister from. Um, God moves through us because we are his body, and he delights in us. We share his work to bring others into the kingdom because that's our calling to bring others in. Uh, we share in his work to further discipleship with believers that have already come to know Christ, um, to bring growth in the body. But we may share in those suffering a little bit too. Life might be difficult. Um, there might be obstacles in our way, uh, people in our way, But what we need to understand in all of this is that those challenges are not our prison, okay? This is not a prison built to trap, you know, my circumstances are not to trap Tracy and not make me effective and to keep me from doing God's work. Those challenges are actually um, something that Pastor Rod shared with my husband um, years back, um, he said, your your situation, your circumstance is not your prison. It's your dressing room. It's the place that you are prepared to do the work that I'm calling you to do. It's the place where you get a story. It's your story now. Those circumstances, those challenges in life, they're your story. If you don't walk through them, you don't have much of a story. I mean, really, you're not going to relate to other people that are going through similar situations or, you know, maybe not even similar situations, but just can kind of understand um, when you share your story. Um, so with that all in mind, let's recap the main points. God can use us where we are. There's no need to wait for a circumstance to change. You just have to get started. Share yourself, share your story with one person and see what you can build. That's ministry. God sees us in our circumstances right where we're at and what we're going through. We are not alone. He is right here beside me every step of the way. He's right there beside you every single step that you take, every word you say. God wants to use us to fulfill his purpose and further his kingdom, and he'll make a way no matter what the circumstance looks like. And God wants us to learn to walk with him in ministry, even when circumstances don't meet our expectations. So here's my challenge. Can you, um, can somebody lower the lights for me, please? Thank you. When you find yourself struggling and feeling trapped, when the walls are kind of closing in and you just don't know how to deal with whatever that is, whatever it looks like, Your initial reaction will probably be to focus internally um, to try to to figure out a way to change the things for yourself, right? This is what God wants from us. He wants us to focus not on what we can do on our own because our own efforts may fail, right? But he wants us to focus on him and ask the Holy Spirit to show us why we're in those circumstances in the first place. He wants us to talk to him and ask, Holy Spirit, tell me what I'm supposed to learn from this because I don't like the way I feel. I don't like what this person is saying to me. I don't like that. I don't want that to be true, but I need to know if it is so that I can change. Um, ask him what we're supposed to learn from the things that are making our life hard. Ask the Holy Spirit how we can share that struggle ultimately with someone else to work with God as a partner in ministry, right? This is our story. He didn't give us a story just so we could sit in these seats and talk to each other about it. He wants to make himself known, right? He wants us to take this out and we are called to tell others, I want you to think about with your life and, I, and the title of my message that I brought up from God's perspective. We're not in a prison, okay? This isn't a life sentence meant to drag us down and make us depressed and make us anxious about what's going to happen. From God's perspective, our life here on earth is a sentence, but it's our sentence of time that we have to live here on earth before we reunite with him, right? That is our home. Um, he wants to bring us home. But we have a sentence of time that we are going. We, know, we don't know the time where we'll be taken away from this earth. So that's our sentence. But our sentence, God sees us in, as we live that that life here on earth, And he wants us to see the opportunity that he provides in that to bring life to us and to those around us. Okay. It's a different way of seeing the term life sentence, but God is full of life and he wants to bring life in each of us and reach out to other people to bring life in the middle of their circumstance. Um, so just like when Joseph was enslaved or in prison, we have a choice when we feel like we're trapped to just wallow in it feel sad for ourselves, feel sad for that circumstance or we can choose to say holy spirit what do you want to do through this what do you want me to learn what do you want me to tell other people about this this kind of situation where's the life god where is the life in this I need to see the life because that's what's going to bring us out of that mentality of feeling trapped to be able to move in ministry. So with that in mind, i just ask everybody to bow their heads. We're going to pray about this. Father God, I just thank you for this word. I thank you that you have come in the form of your son, Jesus Christ, to earth, to live a life here and be resurrected again, to show us what life can be. I ask you, Lord, with everybody in here, no matter what our circumstance looks like, speak to us, Holy Spirit. Show us what it is you want us to learn from these trials through the temptations, through the things that are out of our control, and through the the taking away of things that we would want to cling on to. Show us the purpose in that, or at least tell us what you want us to learn and how you would like us to grow to be effective for your kingdom, for your ministry's sake. And then help us, Lord, to... See the opportunities, the opportunities to bring life to those that are around us by speaking our story, speaking a word about um, what we've learned and how we're growing, no matter the fact that those situations haven't gone away yet, no matter how long it takes. If anybody wants to come forward, I ask you to come forward and pastors and elders or me will pray over you. Don't let this opportunity pass you by to deal with the circumstance that's making you feel trapped today and to get a way clear Thank you Jesus,
1: Amen. Praise the Lord! What an awesome word! Hallelujah! Um, I'm going to close in a word of prayer, and before I do, I just want to challenge you in two areas that I can really um, feel the Holy Spirit leading in this service. Um, I was driving with my daughters yesterday. They were a major help. They were helping me move scaffolding and taking it back to the other building. And so, as we were driving along, they were asking me. Um, they were asking me about heaven. We were having a conversation, and I said, "You know, if anything ever happens to me, you know, the Bible says when I'm absent from my body, I'll be present with the Lord." And they, were, they said, really? And I said, yeah. So I started explaining it to him. and I said, if you know Jesus, and He's the Lord of your life, I don't have to worry, because you'll be in the presence of the Lord. And all of us are better in the presence of the Lord than even on the earth together, and we'll be reunited together. And so I started to explain to him. and I started to think, well, how do I explain to him? Because they were asking about Him being the Lord of your life, and... And, um, and I told him I've baptized all of your brothers and your sister. And I said, and I haven't baptized you two yet. And I said, oh, but I know you love the Lord. And they said, we do. And and so I started thinking, well, how do I explain to him? So I started to explain to him while we, we were driving what it means to trust Him as the Lord of your life. And um, Joseph could not be a better example. Because the two things I want to challenge with are the big picture. And the small picture. The big picture is, have we done like Joseph and said, no matter what circumstance in life that I go through? Now, let's hope that you aren't accused, you know, number one, attempted murder by your brothers, sold into slavery by your brothers, put in prison for a false charge of sexual assault, delivered from prison, and finally elevated like God said He would in the very beginning. But have you made a commitment in your life to say, Lord, no matter what happens in my life, I'm going to serve you as the Lord of my life. And that's a perfect example because no matter where they put Joseph, it didn't matter. He was resilient in his faith. And that's what faith is. No matter what happens in my life, no matter what my childhood was like, amen we say that, but do we live that? No matter how hard my childhood was, I forgive them and I'm going to trust you with my life, Lord. No matter what circumstances I go through, even when it doesn't go my way, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to love you for the rest of my life. till death do we part, right? And that's the big picture. The small picture is, am I still trusting him through everything? Like what I'm going through right now, am I still trusting Him with everything? So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and I'm just going to do a simple raising of the hand. That's my acknowledgement. Nobody's looking around, right? Nobody's looking at me. I'm not the show here. The Lord is. Don't look at me. I don't want you looking around, because this is an intimate moment between you and the lord not between you and me and not between anybody else so everybody please close your eyes i'm just going to ask you have you made the commitment with your life the big picture and if i were to leave this world i'm trusting god with my life my past my present my future i trust him completely if you've not done that all i need you to do is just raise that hand it's as simple as confess your sins and he is faithful and just forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness if you believe in him of everlasting life and trust in him with your life like i'm talking about it's that simple well if that's you and you've never done that you see that hand i'll pray with you privately you can see me afterward you can be water baptized in this church my daughters said dad you know i would like to do that they trust the lord with their life And you can do that today, anybody. How many here? Let me go the other way. How many here have done that? Let me see that hand. Say, well, I don't have to raise my hand. Let me see that hand. Nobody's looking around. We all have our eyes closed. Let me ask you this I'm going through a tough circumstance. This is the more immediate question Am I trusting God through my current circumstance? People are upset with me, and you don't have to raise your hand. This is between you and God. I'm glad you did, though. So bad. But we just want to pray that prayer as we close. And I want to trust you, Lord, through everything through a tough situation, through life, through hardships, those kind of things. So pray with me in your own words that prayer. I'm going to pray that prayer myself, and I'll dismiss you after this prayer. Hallelujah. With this prayer, actually. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. We thank you so much for your word, Lord God. You speak it, like Tracy said, through these bodies, Lord. Your glory shines, Lord. And Lord, right now we give you our lives, Lord God. If uh, there are those here that have never done it, Lord, it's this simple. We trust you with our lives, Lord God. We'll trust you till the day we die. We'll trust you through every circumstance. Through sickness, through health, Lord God, through anything that we are challenged with in this life, we will put our full and wholehearted trust in you, Lord God. Because you are our healer, you are our Savior, Lord God. Lord, we look for you for our help in every circumstance, in every situation. We'll look to no other, Lord God. You are the Lord and Savior of my life, Lord God. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we'll trust you in everything that is before us right now, Lord God, and we'll never let go of you, Lord. Lord, I ask that you bless your people, Lord God, today. Put your hand upon them, Lord. Let your light shine through them, Lord God. Let them be used by you every day of their life, every circumstance, every prison, Lord God, every mountaintop, Lord. Your light is going to shine through your people, Lord, and we thank you, Lord. Father, let them come out of their dressing room, Lord ready lord god for what's before him your name we pray and we thank you lord